This episode of a Quick Timeout podcast is presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. Dr. Dish machines are the most advanced shooting machines on the market. If you haven't already, join top programs like Duke, North Carolina, Baylor, Florida, and countless others and upgrade to Dr. Dish. And now save an extra $300 on select models when you mention Quick Timeout podcast. To find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com. Great to have with us today, head coach for the Texas A&M Corpus Christi Islander, Steve Lutz. Coach, if only they knew uh, all the hurdles we had to jump through to actually make this happen. Maybe they would be even more appreciative. But thank you for no, persevering yeah, with me to actually make me. it happen. Yeah. I appreciate your persistence. Um, <laughs> yeah. I definitely wasn't wasn't dodging you by any means. I, I oh, like no. doing these things, actually. I think the more that... Uh, you know, you can talk about basketball and life and culture and your program. I mean, you're, you're just, you know, you're, you're enhancing your, your brand and, and, you know, more, the more people that learn about Texas A&M Corpus Christi, the more people are going to be really surprised at what a great thing we have here. Yeah, for sure. I do want to kind of circle back eventually and talk to you about just what you've, what you all have created there. I think probably for a lot of coaches, they have heard of you and heard of your program, probably in large part because of, uh, what you guys did last March in both the, the tournament, your conference tournament and the national tournament, making an appearance and, and having a great showing there. For those that don't know, this is Coach Lott's second season there at Texas A&M and uh, Corpus Christi. I believe, if I'm remembering this correctly, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that was last year the biggest turnaround in Division One. It wasn't the number one, but it was in the top okay. uh, five for sure. Okay. I, I knew they were talking about it and, and just the big um, change the team had the year before. I don't know necessarily that you, you came in and resurrected a dead program, but it was just kind of a, a change. And so with that in mind, what was your team went from uh, winning five and 19 the year before, not your team, but your program, and then to 23 and 13. Did you feel like that exceeded expectations or was that something you, you felt like was possible when the season started? No, I absolutely thought it was possible. Um, this has been a good program for a long time. Ronnie Arrow took them to the tournament in seven, 2007. Um, Willis Wilson had some really good teams. He lost a kid, a couple kids to transfer, and, and, and it just kind of – sometimes it's hard to recover from that stuff. But I absolutely thought it was possible because um, the president's fantastic. The AD wants to win. Um and he wants to win the right way, but he, he's going to give you what you need. We don't have football. So when we, you know, when you don't have football and you're the main sport on campus, um, you tend to, to be able to uh, get things that you need to win. You know, um, football, right, wrong or indifferent, it, it, it just takes a lot of money to run a program. So uh, we, we came in here and, and um, you know, we brought in a, a ton of transfers and they weren't division one transfers necessarily because we just took one grad transfer and one division one transfer. And then we took a couple high school guys and the rest were all junior college guys. And uh, I played junior college, I coached junior college. And I believe, especially at this level, because you're not on, you know, the Purdue private plane out of the Purdue airport on campus or you're not on that private plane at Creighton, you know, you got to have guys that can get on a plane or get on a bus and get off that bus and be able to perform. And junior college guys obviously have done that, you know, for a couple of years. So I, I thought that was a good 
I don't want to say transition or, or you know, it was going to be something that translated well to our conference. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, luckily it did. But but at the end of the day, no, I absolutely thought when we brought them in in June and in July and we were working out, my message to them a lot was we have enough in this room. Like people don't people don't outside of this room don't know, probably don't care. But we have enough in this room. And I still believe that to this day. When you took that job in the spring of, of 2021, what are you thinking to yourself in regards to like, this is this is what I absolutely have to do, or these are absolutes for creating the culture that I want to be here at Corpus Christi? Yeah, you know, I did a lot. I coached in this league from 2000 to 2006, I believe. And, uh, you know, so I had seen what the league was about, obviously, you know, since then, um, you know, things have changed a little bit in terms of people leaving and, and, and staying in the league. Um, but I asked a lot of people, like I asked the coach at Stephen F. Austin, a bunch of questions, who's a good friend. And, and I asked the coach at Sam Houston state and Abilene Christian, cause we're all, you know, we all grew up together in the business. I asked them what they felt like the absolutes were. And they, they were the same ones as were there in 2000. You know, um, we play extremely aggressive defensively. Uh, we force a lot of turnovers. Um, we try to put people um, in positions that they're not comfortable. And, and what I tell our team all the time is don't let people do what they want to do. Like, don't give them their fir- first option. Make them go to option B. Make them go to option C. And I promise you that they're not as good at option B and C because as a coach, you don't work on B and C as much as you work on A, right? Um, So we're really aggressive. We build our foundation around defense. And then, um, you know, because we were able to recruit the way we did and and the philosophy that I have is I'd like to score in the first 12 seconds of a a shot clock. you know, we, some years you maybe don't get everybody that you want and you can't play that way. You have to, play towards your team strengths. And, and with us, we were able to play to our, our team strengths, which is a fast style of basketball. And so uh, it, it just kind of worked out. Um, and I can't tell you that I, I had it all scripted and I knew it all. I, I can't tell you that at all. I mean, you have to be able to adjust on the fly, um, especially in your first year. And especially with, you know, shoot, I think we had, uh, we had 12 new guys on the roster. But really, in reality, it was 15 new players because I'd never coached any of them. To do a pressure defense, rebounding, and play fast like that, that, that can be difficult to do in just you know eight months, nine months, um, and to do it well. What do you credit the buy-in and the execution of that with that group? I absolutely credit the guys because they did. They allowed us to coach them. And sometimes, especially – with transfers, whether they're junior college or division one, they have their own um, ideas of the way the game should be played. Um, and they allowed a guy who who had never coached a game before in his life as the head coach of a university. And, and they just listened to me and they believed in in what I was talking about and, and what my staff was trying to teach them. And that's hard to do. And so number one, I'd tell you that's a credit to them because they're good people and they're they're they have good character and they're about winning. Um, and, and we, you know, we spend an enormous amount of time in the recruiting process trying to uh, find guys that we knew had those winning qualities. And uh, we were able to do so, luckily, you know, 
to for ourselves, I guess. A little bit more basketball nerdy now, but your pressure defense, do you feel like there's anything special with it? And then on top of that, how do, how do you teach it? Is it just a lot of shell stuff, a lot of breakdown stuff, small games? Yep, yep. We do um, we do a lot of parts and then build to the whole. Um, there is nothing special about about our, our defense. And I'll tell you this, uh, I worked for a man named Danny Casper at Stephen F. Austin from 2000 to 2006. And, and he's one of the best defensive coaches I've ever been around. And the thing that I learned about his defensive style was it wasn't necessarily the X's and O's of it, the footwork of it, the, it was the fight. And it takes an enormous amount of energy um, to coach as hard as he did every single day. Like there's some nights I go home and I just want to lay on the couch and do nothing. Um, hmm. But our fight's good. And Greg McDermott was the same way. Matt Doherty was the same way. Matt Painter, like they always would talk about when you go into that, that arena and you're going to go toss up the ball with Tom Izzo his team is going to fight you. So if your fight's not as good as their fight, you have no shot. Now, when it's equal fights, right? You have two teams that are really tough, play really, really hard. Man, now it starts to get fun. And now we have we get into some gamesmanship and some adjustments, adjustments that you make. But if you don't have the fight, you're never going to get to that point. Is there anything competitive that you do to enhance that? Surely it can't be all rah-rah. Oh, it's not rah-rah. Everything we do is competitive. <laughs> You know, it's funny. We didn't have a great practice on Tuesday and uh, the green team was smoking the white team. And I, I yelled at the white team who was, you know, normal stuff. They're jawing at each other a little bit on the baseline. I'm going like, hey, guys, if you don't want to run, then win the game. Quit turning the dang ball over. Get a rebound. Take good shots. Don't do crazy stuff and win the basketball game. And then the green team will run. But until you quit doing all that craziness you're going to be on the line a lot mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they were on the they had a tough day on, on tuesday but they were good today so is there anything that you target as far as like goals or things that you score and practice that just re-emphasizes to them this is how we need to play in order to get this you know what we don't chart like deflections and charges and all that stuff in practice it's a mindset as much as you know, me telling you, you had seven deflections. Um, you know, if, if I'm on your tail because you keep letting your guy catch the ball at the three point line and I want him to catch it three feet above, um, you know, you get the message and the, the guys that, that do what is asked of them, you know, they get praised. Um, but I, I don't know. And I'm a big analytics person and I use the numbers a lot. I don't know that, uh, I don't know that those guys, care about mm -hmm. deflections and charges but when somebody takes a charge i'm telling you everybody in that in that uh, mm -hmm. practice facility is going crazy and, and we're telling them good job and when guys don't take a charge i'm not going to cuss you out but i'm going to probably i'm going to make you feel like mm -hmm. dang man i let the team down because i didn't do that and and i'm going to tell you very honestly like Hey, Tony, like you, you didn't have, you had an opportunity to take that charge. And if you don't take that charge, I'm not going to play you. Hmm. I'm going to play the guy over here that does what I ask him to do. And, and I'm very simplistic in that respect. I am very open and honest and truthful with them almost to a fault. Hmm. Uh, and some guys can't handle that, but these guys have been great. 
Uh, they don't like to hear it every day, but but they've accepted the fact that this is the way we do it. I would imagine part of that is just the age of the guys that you're recruiting. They've been in in college. They're a little bit older. They've taken that before. That necessarily yeah, 100%. is percent kids. In my opinion, this this group, this generation, however you want to say it, they like feedback, right? Mm-hmm. They ask a lot of questions. Why? Hey, coach, I don't understand this. Can you explain this? You got to do that for them, right? But you know what they do understand? They understand that when you tell them the expectation is you're going to take a charge, the expectation is you're going to deny the ball. And if you don't meet the expectation, then I have to go to the next person. They understand when they're sitting over there on the bench. They don't like it, but they understand it. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love Huddle Assist. With Assist, you get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And Assist is more than just the box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats, lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, Assist brings your stats to life. Combined with the HD quality, automatically captured film from the Huddle Focus smart camera, every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com assist. That's huddle.com assist to find out more. Uh, you mentioned analytics. So what are the things that you look at? And you mentioned... You know, I don't even know. Do you share anything like that with the guys or is that something that you usually keep within the staff and for yourself? Yeah, we, we keep it within the staff for the most part. But I mean, we're especially in scouting and game preps. I mean, we're figuring out, OK, here's their you know top five actions. Here's what they do. Here's how they get into it. And we obviously adjust our, our scheme a little bit to try and take that away. But then we're very heavy into are they a right handed dominant ball dr- or ball handler? Um, especially in pick and rolls, you know, if, if we can take them out of what they want to do in a, in a pick and roll, we're going to always try and do that. Um, obviously, you, now you start talking into, you know, is a guy a great three-point shooter? Well, my staff and I go round and round about this all the time. Um, we run guys off the line that are great, that are good three-point shooters. But if you're a 42% three-point shooter and you only make a half of three a game, I'm probably not going to run you off the line. But if you're a 36, 38% free throw or three point shooter and you're making two to three a game, man, I'm not giving you a three. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I I try to be as common sense about it as I can and um, play to the averages. You mentioned the 12 seconds trying to score quickly. Uh, How did you come to the 12 seconds and how did you feel like you did? And then I kind of want to talk and dig into a little bit about like, the actual possession then? Yeah, no, no. So um, everywhere I had grown up kind of in basketball, my first, let's just say 14 years, um, it was mostly motion offense. Matt Doherty at SMU, we ran Carolina break a couple years, and so we tried to play fast. But when I got to Creighton, um, and it's funny because people just think that Greg McDermott, and, and when he was at Northern Iowa, he did play very slow and ran a bunch of sets. But when we were at Creighton, man, we played fast. And um, Greg McDermott, Steve Murfield, those guys taught me as much about transition offense 
as, as anybody had. Um, we probably did the same in junior college with Jeremy Cox, but I wasn't there long enough to really learn what I needed to learn. Um, and, and, you know, they, those guys, it, it's not rocket science, but those guys at Creighton emphasized your first three steps in transition, your first three steps in defensive transition, and then just always getting to your spots and running your guys to the corner, having a rim runner, um, you know, having a trail man, uh, and then spacing, you know, like last week, my staff and I, we went to, uh, we went to the Spurs training camp for a day. And obviously I coached Doug McDermott and he's there and Greg Popovich just kept talking about chase space. And I loved his term with it because man, we always get in, in the way of somebody <laughs> and it drives me crazy. And it's the same thing that, that we were we were working for at Creighton, man. We just tried to keep the floor spaced and take the first good open shot that we could. Um, always knowing that, you know, a layup and a dunk is the best shot in college basketball. And then after that, it's a step in three, you know, with the unsettled defense, you know. So I just loved it. Um, obviously, we had success with it. And so that really helped me. Um, you know, fall in love with it. And, and then again, we were able to recruit good players here so that, you know, it trans, it, it just worked its way into it because those guys are suited for that. Yeah. And the coupling of the two with your pressure defense and then your, your offense. I mean, you could tell that I was watching the tournament game from last year, last night, and just the pressure was almost like that was the beginning of your offense. And then you guys quickly got to the other end. And if the layup was there, it was score it. But if not, are you preaching to them we're hunting these actions to generate the advantage that then allows us to attack the space and either score it or cause those dominoes to start falling? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we just preach that you want to try and score against a, a defense that is not set as much as possible. And, and we identify roles for the wings. We identify roles for the rim runner and the trail man. And then the point guard kind of, he runs the show. You know, we're fighting to get our point guard to the elbow every single time so he can dump it down so that he can get a seal in the post and get a layup or a dunk. Um, but then we have certain options. You know, when we hit the trail man, do we uh, reverse it and double stagger away? Do we go back same side and get into what people call a zoom action? Um, I give them the freedom there. Like to me, that's where you have to recruit good people and good players and then give them the freedom. I, I can't call a set every single time down the floor. I don't want to do that. I'm not smart enough to do that. You know, that's not a fun way to play. And those guys, when you recruit them and you tell them, Hey, I'm going to give you the freedom. Um, you got to then give them the freedom. And, uh, then they just play off of that. But we probably have in transition six, eight, 10 different things that, okay, if we do this, let's flow into that. But it all goes into motion offense. And, uh, you know, it, to me, I know it's old school, but to me, motion offense is, is really hard to guard when you can get that ball to three sides and, and get people moving. Do you feel like that's easy to pick up? I mean, obviously you did it with a group, 15 new guys in one year. Was it easy to pick up or was it the fact that you had veteran guys that were able to pick it up quicker? You know what those guys, it took all of those guys at least, at least till December to even kind of figure it out. Um, and how did you do it? How, how did you introduce that so that they did understand? Because it's one thing to say, like, these are all the things you can do. Like I was sitting at a clinic just recently and I, there was a couple of the presenters that I heard like, well, you can do this and you can do that. And you can't, you can say that to a bunch of guys, but they, they don't know like 
All right. So what I remember is just randomly picking these things. Right. Well, so and and I took a lot of this from uh, from Coach Painter and his motion offense. We we identify every cut. So if I come to screen for you, you're going to call out your cut, whether it's a straight cut, a tight cut, back. You know what you're so that you know the other guys knows what the heck you're doing. So if you tight curl to the rim, well, I'm going to pop. I'm going. We call it a raise. So you should be yelling tight. I'm going to be yelling raise. And so you just drill that over and over. And again, it's kind of part to whole, right? Um, we'll do a lot of that shooting. You know, maybe one week it's it's straight cuts, then the next week it's straight cuts and tight cuts, and then back, you know, so we do all kinds of stuff then to your dribble handoffs, and we just keep building upon it. Once they figure out one thing, okay, well, let's add some more to it. Um, but I, I'm a big believer in trying to figure out, okay, this is my team. Right. And it doesn't make sense for me to put Isaac Mushilla in a ball screen a lot as a ball handler. But it makes sense for me to um, get him on an open side and let him pick and pop because he can knock down that three. Or like the Lazarus Keys for us last year was really good at the fake dribble handoff. So I would try to get him isolated over there on a the side and he'd go into the dribble handoff. And then we, we called it a, a keep and he'd keep that joker and he'd get to the rim. Um, so once you figure out, okay, Isaac's good at this, Laz is good at this, Steven's good at this. Well, now let's really work on those guys doing those actions when we get into motion offense. When you do the the parts, do you do that with defense or do you just like, we're just going to run this and then it goes straight no, to five on five? Good question. No, we do it dry and then we get a defense with it. Yeah, All five? Absolutely, I'd absolutely do five on five. Um, live after we drill it. But I mean, I go, shoot, man, we went July. Let me think about this. We went June, July, the end of August, and we're in October. So all of September, we never set a ball screen. Now I'm not saying we didn't have a few here and there, but we didn't in our motion offense, we did not ball screen. And I just put in ball screens. Today is Thursday. So I put them in Monday. I put in ball screen D hedge, and then today I got to to icing it and downs. But then I, you know, anytime I teach the defense, I'm teaching the offense, you know, how to attack it as well. And so now we're we're starting to incorporate it a little bit. But even last year, we didn't ball screen a whole bunch. I will admit to you, I did put a couple of your plays on Twitter and stole them on Fast Draw. Uh, <laughs> if people search for them, they might be able to find them. But uh, I have them in my bank because they were they were great. What when, when do you use those? You know, you obviously are not calling stuff every time down the floor, but when do you like to use those and how do you like to use them? Yeah, uh, good question. You know, on dead balls, I'll call a lot of sets. Um, obviously, out of timeouts, I'll call a lot of sets. And then anytime I feel like those guys get a little scatterbrained and, and we're we're just kind of running amok, man. I, I'm going to call a set to try to get someone a shot where I know that they're going to be success, successful. And then I'm the guy that if the set works, if it can work five times in a row, man, we're going to run that thing. I, I, I'm kind of like the NBA guys run it until they stop it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you have your memory bank full of this and that. But I, again, I really try to look at, you know, like a Trey Tennyson, man, I need to set as many double staggers and triple staggers and run him off the baseline as much as possible because he is really good at catching it, getting space, and he's 6'3", 6'4", he can get a shot up. And so 
I just try to put them in positions where I know that that's a shot they're really good at and they're very they're very comfortable at at shooting. And did I notice that you have a cup a package where you have kind of like the same but then it has two or three that they can run out of that same alignment and almost looks like the same play. hundred percent. Yeah. 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 We, I like my out of bounds plays are that way. Um, several of our sets that way. And uh, that's kind of the football mentality. Like you hear coaches talk about um, we have a package and within that package, we have, you know, 10 plays and like at Purdue, my Lord, we had, you know, I worked with Micah Shrewsbury, who's the head coach of Penn State now. I worked with Greg Gary, who's the head coach at Mercer. And then obviously Matt Painter's as good as anybody. I mean, his his system of grouping stuff um, was the first time I had really been exposed to it because all of the other places other than maybe Carolina, um, you know, in their A1, B1, two, you know, all everybody else had a kind of a hodgepodge like we would have a one call at Creighton which maybe was a a lateral cross screen down screen and then we'd have a five call which would be something totally different and so for me um I thought it was really interesting at Purdue how they how they grouped it all together and you have an action you have your slash action which maybe is your dribble handoff stuff but then it goes into a butler a butler wrap or it goes into a g series which are elbow catches and every, as long as they knew G4, G5 off of slash, then you could call all the audibles, so to speak, and then they could just piece it together. So someone who is very, someone who needs stuff to flow, it's really easy to understand. And so that's why, like, if a guy stays at, say, Purdue for four years and is a four-year player like P.J. Thompson, for example, Man, that guy knows 150 different plays. Now, it's really only three different families, but then you've got all the stuff off of it. Mm-hmm. And then you just, man, people, you know how it is. I mean, people are going to try and take away something. So then how do you switch or, you know, what's your your counter to what they're doing? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, it just get, continues to build your playbook. Yeah, something you said earlier about like calling the set plays for, I don't know why I'd never thought of this before. It almost served, we did it used it with this mentality last year, it almost served as like a timeout without having to call a timeout. And it almost like readjusted their focus. And, you know, everybody knows you, you know, you call a play to get that ball into the hands of the person that you want. And there was almost like that was part of it. But the other part of it was it almost like allowed us to change tempo. And it kind of sounds like that's what it for you all that kind of, kind of allowed you to do kind of the same thing. And then, yeah, especially yeah, with this group, man, we get a little wild and crazy. Yeah. And it allows me to just calm them down and get them, get them back. In order. I, I would have to imagine when you're playing fast, that is kind of one of the ways without having to blow all your timeouts or whatever. Um, yep. And and then the other one, I saw you use a family of plays that was like, you needed quick scores and they allowed you to run almost the same thing. And I don't know if you did this intentionally, but it looked like you built on each one. So the one set up the two, the defense. And so even if they tried to cheat, like, oh, they just ran this play, there was kind of a, a you know counter to that. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. Awesome. I mean, it's just like football, right? Like you're going to run the yeah. the pitch on the right. Well, next time you might pitch it on the right and then throw it long. You know, I mean, it, you're just – people are predictable. Coaches are predictable, right? Yeah. And so they think – and especially through scouting, you know, when you call – 
you know, say, for example, again, your slash series and you call slash whatever. Well, the other team's screaming what it is. But if you say slash reverse G4, well, reverse means something totally different than what you ran a, a minute ago. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. <laughs> you'd like to think that it works. It doesn't always. But, yeah. you know, that's the gamesmanship of, of, of basketball. Right. That's the fun stuff. Yeah. Now, did you call that or do your players have the freedom to call that? Uh, I call the place. Yeah. 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 Cole Good. Dewey on our staff helps me with the offense. Mm -hmm. And then I have uh, Jim Shaw and Ralph Davis. They do the defense. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, I'm involved in all of it, but but uh, we kind of um, we split it up for sure. All right. I'll just ask you and you can have this be something X's and O's, but it doesn't have to be. But now that you've been through year one, what is one thing that you're like, we have got to do this again like this? Has, we have to do this again. And then what's one thing when you're like, we are not going to do that? Okay. Um, the thing that I would tell you we have to do again is um, never give in to them. Like no matter what, stick to your principles. They're all smart enough to learn. You just got to, some learn different ways. You got to figure out each player and then, and then, and then teach them. And in summer, it's going to take you to bring them into the office and draw on the board. Some it's going to take video. Some you're going to have to yell at, you're going to punish. I mean, it is what it is, but don't, don't get away from what you believe in, man. Like just do what you believe in and you'll be successful. Did you second guess anything? Not second guess, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if people know. Didn't you have a five game skid in December, yeah. January? And yeah, that's absolutely. I'm guessing that that yeah. kind of coincides yeah. with the like we were trying to teach this offense and they still haven't quite got it. Yeah. And not to get off subject, uh, but yes, that five game slide, um, I second guessed all kinds of stuff. And, and you know, thank goodness my staff, you know, was convincing and my wife was like, Dude, you just won 20, you know, 15 games out of 18 games. Why are you freaking out? You know, <laughs> but the five game slid uh, or slide, I should say, that was more human nature. You know, we got back from Christmas and uh, we start league play and we're doing pretty good and people are talking about us and you're getting in the mid-major poll and the hardest thing with human nature, man, is to keep your foot on the gas and stay, you know, 100% committed to the process. Mm -hmm. And then we had a couple guys um, maybe that weren't doing what they had to do off the floor. And we had one young man that I had to dismiss from the team. And I knew it was happening in the back of my mind. And I, I thought, man, we're rolling, we're rolling. So I didn't turn an eye to it, but I let it get out of control. And then you know, you, you're going to hit a rock bottom at some point. And, and we had to remove the young man from the team. And, and we were able to get everyone reeled back in and on the same page. So it wasn't as much as I was doing too much. Mm -hmm. I, I probably just didn't. Uh, and I, I don't know. And it, when you, when your gut tells you not to do something and um my gut told me that my roster management in the summer that I was probably getting a guy or two that I shouldn't right at the end, I should have just stayed and I'd have stayed fine with my, you know, 12, 13 guys. But I thought, Hey, if I take this guy, I know he can do a, well, maybe that one game a year, if he does a, that's going to win the conference tournament championship for us. And in reality, it's not that one game that matters, right? It's what mm -hmm. you've done for the other 99% of the time. Mm -hmm. So that was a big lesson for me. I won't yeah. do that one again. 
Yeah. I promise you that. And then what was the last part of the question? No, that's probably, that was probably it. Just the one thing that you, you would, you would oh. definitely do differently. I would guess. Yeah, would be well, just... here's what I would do differently. Um, I would work on late game execution more and I will mm. do it more this year. And I would, um, I'll probably increase my late game package a little bit more and I'll make sure that they know it inside and out. What are you feeling? What, what are you, what the whole thing? Like, yeah, court, like court. I, we executed our sideline out of bounds late stuff. We did pretty good with that, but our full court late, we did not, we did not. You know, Nobody it, cares it, about that until the one game you need it in February right. and early March. Right? And, and my assistants, man, God love them. They would tell me like, coach, man, we need to work on, we need to play small segment games. We need to, and I, I just, I got bullheaded a little bit. And I, I just thought, man, if, if we, if we kicked their butt for 95% of the game, shouldn't need that. But like you say, until you get in that situation and, and there was a game, um, at Notre Dame, where I, I don't think that I, there was two things. I didn't make an adjustment late um, out of helping out of the corner, and I, we didn't execute late. And and we would have had a chance to beat Notre Dame on the road, I thought. All right, last thing. What's the best piece of coaching advice you've ever gotten? Uh, don't take idiots. <laughs> and I know that sounds bad to say that, but like take people that you want to be around every day and recruit them to your program because when you win it's awesome man you get to celebrate every win and we celebrate our wins because they're so hard to come by we celebrate our wins but when you lose like when we were in that five game slump you don't want to be miserable and be around people that you you don't have the same values as and and even though we had to dismiss that young man he's not a bad person he just got off track mm -hmm. and i liked going to practice and we were in close games it wasn't like during that when we lost five out of six it wasn't like we were getting smoked um but just life's too short to you know the word idiot was somebody else using it but life's <laughs> too short to take you know guys that are low on character and low on basketball iq and are going to cut corners and you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to fight them every day to get them to do what you want. It, it, it makes it even more draining than than just coaching them every day. And yeah. which, you know, which takes energy and effort. So yeah. um, everybody from the top to the bottom, from the managers all the way to the coaches to the have good people in your program that you enjoy being around because you know it's a three hour game at most, and and you got to be around them for the other two days while you're on that road trip and stuff. Golly, man, I've been in a situation or two where you are miserable and I hope that I, I don't ever get there again. That's coach Steve Lutz of the Texas A&M Corpus Christi Islanders. It was great talking with you coach. Thanks for working with me to make this happen. Yeah, no problem, Tony. Appreciate your patience. <laughs>